Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this day and this opportunity to come and to hear from your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak, that it would not simply be my words, but Lord, what people would hear is what your spirit is telling them through your word. Lord, we pray that having heard you, having been touched by you, having experienced your presence, that somehow our lives might change, our families might change, our community might begin to change. And Lord, we would dare even ask that through your power, your spirit, your work in us, that we might see things in this world change. Lord, we want to pray big prayers because you're a big God. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin this morning, this beautiful day that we have, with one of the brightest and cheeriest verses in the Bible. One of those verses that just puts a a smile on your face and a song in your heart. Are you ready for it? Here we go. Psalm 90, verse 10. The years of our lives are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble, and they are soon gone, and we all fly away. Okay, maybe that exaggerated a little bit. Maybe that's not the brightest and cheeriest verses in the Bible. And yet, it puts us nose to nose with a couple of realities. And the first of those realities is that life is terminal. It's true. When we're born, we're on our way to death. It's an inevitable process. And what we read here in Psalm 90 is that what you can expect, a reasonable expectation out of life is 70, maybe 80 years if you're really doing well. Some of you are going, hey, I've surpassed that. That's great. That's awesome. Good for you. Keep going. But we know that a great many people don't make it to 70 my dad died at 52 years old. Uh, I've lived four years longer than my dad, which absolutely blows my mind. But obviously, you have people in your family, people that you're close to, who died at an early age. And unfortunately, uh, one, of the, one of the earliest funerals I had to do uh, was a graveside service uh, for a child that was stillborn. And so we recognize that death is this very often unwelcomed part of life, but it is part of life. It is part of that life cycle. Now, listen, my kids did not appreciate it when we had a pet died and I sang the circle of life. Okay, my kids didn't appreciate that very much. They thought it was a little on the insensitive side, but it is part of life and we need to expect it and, and plan for it. And so we're, we're confronted with that truth here in Psalm 90. But we're also confronted with another truth that may be less cheery than the first one. And that is that life is tough. Full of toil and hardship and trouble. Even Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble. And so we look at it and we go, man, Jimmy, you're starting off with a bang this morning. I was feeling pretty good until we got to the sermon and read this kind of stuff. You're saying I'm going to die, and before I die, things are going to get tough. Well, that's life. That's that's the truth of it. That is life. But that's not the way it started. 
If you were to go all the way back this afternoon, and I'd encourage you to do it, maybe spend a, uh, a little while in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, but if you were to go back into Genesis, what you would see is a God who is at work creating everything. And at the end of each day, after his creative work, we read that, that God took a look at it and he said, that's good. Some of you understand this. We, we get it in kind of a, a small version, but when we accomplish something, we sometimes will step back and go, you know what? That's good. That's good. Sometimes I just, after mowing the grass, I just like to go stand at the window and look at a freshly mowed lawn. Now, I don't say, this is good. But I'm thinking that. That's the same kind of thing. And so God created, and he said, this is good. Now, on the sixth day, after creating man and woman, Adam and Eve, God not only said, this is good, what did he say? This is very good. God looked at everything he made, and he said, it's very good. Now, when we take a look at this, and then we read Psalm 90, we go, what happened? Where is the disconnect here? What, what happened so that everything was good or, and very good, and then now where we live, man, you're going to die, and it's going to be tough? There, what, what happened? What's the, what's the interlude here? Well, if you go back and read Genesis 1 and 2, it'll certainly help you to understand that. But what you'll, under, what you'll see first is that there was a time without toil and trouble. That there was a time without tears and sorrow. There was a time without cancer. There was a time without Alzheimer's. There was a time without diabetes. There was a time without trips to the emergency room or stays in the intensive care. There was a time without funerals. There was a time when all that was the reality. None of those things existed. There was a time when there was absolute peace between God and the humans that he created. In fact, it says that God would come and walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. That's how close the relationship was. That's how peaceful everything was. This was perfection. This is the way God made it and, and shaped it and formed it. And the, what you read is that we broke it. Now you say, well, I did, did I break it? It was broken, obviously, through Adam and Eve and their rebellion against God. But what have we been doing ever since? We, too, have been living in rebellion against God. Anytime that we put our wills ahead of God's will, we fall in the same trap. We live in that same rut that Adam and Eve lived in. It's a broken, fallen world, and unfortunately, in many ways, it's exactly what we have made of it. And yet, when we read, when we read in Genesis, when we go back and, and get a glimpse at what creation was, there's something in us uh, that begins to percolate, a longing, a desire. And we go, man, how I wish it could be like that again. How I wish I didn't have to wake up every morning with aches and pains. How I wish I didn't have to watch my 
brother, my sister, my mother, my father, my son, my daughter endure cancer or dementia or struggle daily with diabetes. How I wish that life were somehow different. And, and there's a longing in us, a desire that begins to well in us for that which was lost. I'm always the guy with buyer's remorse. I don't know about you. I, the last time I went to buy a vehicle... Now, it was a nice vehicle. It was, it was, it was good. It was probably, it's better than I deserve for sure. But once my name got signed to that paper, the buyer's remorse hit immediately. And I longed for the time that I didn't owe that money. I longed for what was lost because I just tied myself to something that was going to go with me for a few years. We look for those things that are lost. We long for those things that are lost. And the thing we long for most is for this broken world to be pieced back together by the same hands who made it to begin with. The peace that we talked about this morning at the lighting of the Advent candle. I I hope these videos are helpful for you as you come to understand these biblical terms because peace is not just an absence of war. It's everything fitting the way it ought to fit. And here, that's what we long for. That's what we look for. That's what we desire. We were made for that. And the good news is, there's a promise that God will bring that to pass. And we were made for that too. We were made for an eternity with God in peace forever. If you've got your Bibles, you may want to look here, and um, we're going to look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, I hope it's right on your, your handout. Uh, my notes here have 1 Corinthians. That would be incorrect. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And, and I want you to maybe put a marker here. Um, put your bulletin or something so you can come back and look at this in, in more detail later. But I want you to see the first couple of verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we see there, Paul writes, For we know that if this tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed. Now, when Paul's using this term tent, he's talking about our earthly existence, our lives. So he's comparing our, our lives to living in a tent. So we know that if this tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. So Paul says this this life we live, it's like living in a tent. Now, I'm not much on camping. Some of you may really, really enjoy camping. Camping, camping where you get a tent and you go off somewhere and you have to build a fire and you have to you know, bring your water or, or go find your water and you have to collect sticks and you have to do all this stuff and then you have to go to bed with bears and raccoons pounding on your tent all night. 
I don't camp much, so that probably doesn't happen, but that's what I envision, okay? And you wake up in the morning, and it's actually 58 degrees, but it feels like it's 30 because you've been sleeping out outside all night. That's not my favorite thing to do. Some of you may love it. But here's the thing I do know about tent living. It's not designed to be permanent. That's just a temporary thing. If I'm living in a tent, there's something wrong. Okay, I don't plan to be there very long. I want to be back in a building. And so this earthly existence, Paul says, it's like living in a tent. But there's coming a time when we're going to move out of that tent. That God has a building for us. Something firm and secure. And it's not made with human hands. It's not like the finest building that we could put up. This is something that God himself has done. But Paul says, while we're in this tent, we groan. We groan. We have an ache, a longing, a passion, a desire in us. Because we know that this is not how God made it. No, this is what we've made of it. But this is not how God made it. And so there's an inner longing for something more, for something better, for something eternal. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, I think I shared this verse with you a couple of weeks back. Verse 11, it says that God has made everything beautiful in its time. And also he has put eternity into the hearts of men. He's put eternity in our hearts. Here's the thing. God designed us, God made us, and then he put this longing in us. This desire that goes beyond this tent existence that we have, this temporary broken existence that we have. We were made in the image of God, and it's as if God put a homing beacon in us. It's as if God put something that would, a a, a GPS that's constantly trying to guide us back to him into right relationship with him and into eternity with him. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, put it this way. All within us cries for life and permanence. And everything around us reminds us of mortality and change. Yet that God has made us the stuff of eternity is both a glory and a prophecy. A glory yet to be realized and a prophecy yet to be fulfilled. God has made us the stuff of eternity. That's pretty cool. Carl Sagan, who was not a believer in Jesus Christ. In fact, he was a believer in, in uh, just naturalism. That this whole world was uh, just, everything's by accident. Every, everything in the universe is here by accident. There was no designer, there was no creator, there was no God who, who instigated all this, got it going, keeps it going. But that all this stuff just happened. And so the best that Carl Sagan could say about us is that we are made of the stuff of stars. In other words, when stars were born and died over billions and billions of years and ejected stuff out into this ever-expanding universe, that somehow all this stuff 
gathered together and we have become the stuff of stars. And somehow he thought, well, that's pretty cool. Well, that ain't nothing like being the stuff of eternity. Because what God's word says is not that we were some cosmic accident, but that God created us. He made us in his image and he made us in his likeness. And he has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And we're not simply the stuff of stars. We are the stuff of eternity. What an incredible thing. And because we're the stuff of eternity, this homing beacon is constantly sounding in us. There's got to be something better. There's got to be something permanent. There's got to be something more. There's got to be something eternal. This this heartbeat, this, this pumping, this rhythm in us that says there is something more and somehow I have to find it. Now here's the deal. Everybody's got this. You want to know why religions exist in the world? Even, even those ones that are kind of a mess? It's because everybody's got this home beacon going off. And they've got to respond to it in some way. And so some people, they, they end up, well, they try to bury it. Some people try to ignore it. And they try to say, no, it doesn't really exist. What this longing, this desire I have in me is not something that's eternal. It's just something for a, a better tomorrow. That humanity is just going to get better and better and better. This is, a, this is humanism in and of itself. And that is, I don't need a God. I don't, I don't need any kind of uh, cosmic reality out there. I don't need an eternity. I know I'm going to live and I know I'm going to die. I just want to leave this world a better place. That's what some people, that's a, the approach. Of course, the other approach is to say, I recognize I have this whole, this God-shaped vacuum inside me. I recognize that. And then to begin to work to try to fill up that hole. And man, we try all kinds of things. We certainly try the stuff of life, trying to get and accumulate and, 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 and buy bigger and better and more. And we think somehow it's going to make us happy. And then like me, you end up with buyer's remorse. For other people, it's drugs and alcohol. I've got this hole, so what do I fill it up with? Well, that's one option. Another, you know, some people try to use relationships or, or sexual intimacy and think that this is going to fill that hole in my life. For other people, it's religious observances. They think if I just do enough good stuff, do enough uh, church stuff, do enough Muslim stuff, do enough Hindu stuff, do enough religious stuff, give enough money that somehow it's going to fill up that hole. They're looking for something. Anything that will fill the hole, scratch the itch, satisfy the longing. I think I told you a, a number of years ago when I was much younger, my my dad, he was a police officer, and he always had off on Thursdays, and the thing he liked to do was to go fishing. Well, one summer, uh, I, was, well, I was off, and I didn't have anything to do, and my dad took me with him, went out fishing. We just went out into the, to the sound off North Carolina a little bit, and, and everything was okay until the wind started blowing, and it got really, really, really rough. And I just, you know, it was like riding a, a roller coaster that never ended, and just up and down and up and down, and 
And the, the breakfast that I had, I lost. I was just in absolute misery. I finally, my dad uh, had mercy on me. He took me back to shore. And then, like any good father, he went back out. <laughs> he left me there with about five bucks and the truck. And that's all I had. And I couldn't go anywhere because I couldn't drive at the time. And so I just stayed and waited all day. And so I got thirsty because I'd gotten a little dehydrated because of what had happened out, on the, out in the boat. And so I went into this little store that was right there. And I went in and I got a Pepsi because I prefer Pepsi over Coke. I'm from North Carolina. It comes naturally. So I got a Pepsi and I drank a Pepsi. And I, it was only like a quarter at the time because this was way back when. And so I still had money. And, but it didn't satisfy my thirst. And so uh, in a few minutes I went back and I got another Pepsi. And I think I went through three or four Pepsis. And I realized this is not working. Why? Because what I needed was water. And I finally was able to get water and it satisfied that thirst in me. And some of you here, let me, let me go ahead and just be honest with you. You know what this restlessness, this thirst, this hunger, this longing is like because you live with it. And you've tried all kinds of things to fill that hole, to scratch that itch, to satisfy that thirst, that hunger. You've tried it. And today, one of the reasons you're here is because you realize that ain't work. It just didn't, it didn't work. The hole's still there. And I'm here to tell you this morning that there is only one who can fill that hole. And that is Jesus Christ. He is your only hope. He is my only hope. He satisfies that deepest longing and gives us what we talked about this morning. He gives us peace because he is the prince of peace. He brings us back together with God and reestablishes that broken relationship. And so some try to ignore the need. Some try to fill the need with other things. C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity. This is a great little book. If you've not read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, you get it pretty cheap on one of the ebook formats, or you can find it in most Christian bookstores or Amazon. It's a great little read. It's a short read, but it's a powerful little book. And in it, he wrote this If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world he goes on if none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it that does not prove that the universe is a fraud probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy but only to arouse to suggest the real thing this longing that god put in you was not put in you to frustrate you but to whet your appetite for something that's coming. When you go out, I don't know if you'll see it today, but when you go out on those days where the sunset is literally stunning and takes your breath away, where you recognize the great palette of colors that God has to choose from, and it looks like he used them all in this sunset. On those days where you're hungry and you sit down to a meal that truly satisfies fills that hunger physical hunger that you have in your your stomach on that day when you're hurting and lonely and someone comes up and embraces you in a warm hug 
in that time where you're thirsty and you finally get that cool drink of water. Or maybe it's those times that you walk into a room and you feel completely at peace when you see a sleeping baby. All those touch at something within us, bring us a, a, a kind of a satisfaction, a small sense of this peace. And what, what Lewis is saying here is that they are a foretaste. That's just a, a small example of what is perfect and complete and still waits for us. It is meant to whet our appetite in order to prepare us for a great banquet. Every person lives with this inner longing. We, all, we want all this stuff that we see happening in the world. We want to see God set it all right. Therefore, when you hear the declaration of the angels of peace on earth, goodwill to men, that not only strikes a chord with us, that strikes a chord across the world. That's what we all want. That's what we all long for because God has placed us, placed it in us. As we think about these things, let me, sh- let me share three truths with you this morning as we kind of bring it all together. And the first one is this. Because God has placed this longing for eternity in each person, every person, we can have confidence in pointing people to the answer to their soul's longing and to the only one who can satisfy the hunger of every human heart, and that is Jesus. We don't start at ground zero. When we're telling other people about our Savior Jesus, we're speaking to a need they already have. We just, our our aim is to help them realize and recognize that what they long for, what they're missing, is Jesus. The second truth is this, because God has placed this longing for eternity in each of us, we can trust that he fully intends to satisfy that longing on the day he takes us home. In other words, God has promised that he's not going to leave it like this forever. Um. In Hinduism and in Buddhism, there's this concept of reincarnation. And that is that I'm, what I'm hoping is that my next life is going to be better than my former life. And that eventually I'll escape from this altogether and have a non-existence. And, and that'll be good. That's what I'm looking for. That's, that's the, kind of the, that way of thinking. That's not our fate. That's not what we're here for. We're not just hoping for things to get a little better in our next life. We're looking for things to be perfect. We're longing for things to be right. All that's broken in this world, we recognize that God has a plan to make it perfect again and invites us to join Him in that perfection. And if He's made the promise, He'll keep it. The third truth is this, because we have the hope of heaven and the promise of peace, we can and should live in that hope and live in that peace each day. In other words, we don't have to wait until we get there to start living like we belong there. We can begin to live now. Jesus prayed 
in the, in the Lord's Prayer, when he's taught his disciples to pray, part of the prayer was, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We don't have to wait for that. We can begin to live that. Even in this fallen world, we can begin to live in that truth even now. We read a little bit of 2 Corinthians 5. I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to read a few more verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. And it says this, So we're always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we're of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether you are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him what's he saying he's saying listen there's coming a time when god is going to release you i love the picture in psalm uh, 90 10 we also capture it in one of those those favorite songs that we love to sing i'll fly away that's how psalm 90 10, 10 ends we'll finish this life up full of toil and trouble then we're going to die and then we'll fly away what a beautiful picture we'll fly away We'll go to be united with this God who created us and made us and has made a home for us. That's where we are going. We would rather be there, according to Paul. We'd rather be there, but we're here right now. But, but either way, my aim is to live in such a way as to please him. And there's coming a day when all temptation and all sin and all struggles will be gone. And God's children will please him perfectly and will be perfectly pleased in him. Did you get that? There's coming a day. There's coming a day when we as God's children will please him perfectly and be perfectly pleased in him. But that's something we can start even now. As we bring our lives in line with God's will and begin to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we see this happening more and more and more. And so today, I want to encourage you to live in such a way that you bring joy to the heart of God and to live in such a way that you find joy in God himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for speaking to us today through your word. We thank you for this promise of an eternity where everything will be made right. And we thank you that we can have access to that through your son, Jesus, by faith, not by works, by trusting in his completed work on our behalf. And so, Lord, we come this morning, and I want to I pray for those who still have that longing, that hole, and they've yet to find what's going to fill it. They've tried so many things, and sometimes they try to ignore it, and sometimes they try to focus on it, and they're just struggling. Lord, I pray today that if there's someone here who's come to recognize because of your Spirit speaking to them, come to recognize that the only thing that will bring in the satisfaction that they're missing is Jesus. Lord, if that person's sitting out here today, that they wouldn't leave with their hole left unfilled. But instead, they would come and find a Savior who's willing to meet them right where they are 
and to meet their deepest need. Father, we thank you for forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ and for the new relationship you have for us. And Lord, for the rest of us who live with that longing, we look at this world and we recognize that it's all messed up and part of the mess is us. Lord, we long for a time when it's all going to be put right. Lord, the old phrase about being too heavenly minded to be any earthly good, Lord, we don't want to be that. But Lord, we want to have enough heaven on our minds that we begin to live a little bit of it on earth. That our relationships with our family and with our friends and our coworkers and our fellow students and our community, Lord, that in living through our lives that people recognize the difference that Jesus has made. That we belong not just here, but somewhere else. That we are citizens of heaven and ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And Lord, may our lives impact the world around us, impact every relationship around us. And Lord, if there are those here today who need a church home, a place to belong, or perhaps, Lord, what they need more than anything else is just to spend some time with you in prayer. We ask that during this invitation time, this last song that we sing, that, Lord, whatever barriers need to be broken down, Lord, that you would tear those things away so that people could simply come to you. This is a time of decision, Lord. Guide us in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.